Um, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 1. Amanda has already referred to it when she was lighting the candle, but this is where we're starting our Advent series this year. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. This is a fantastic passage, probably one of my favorite in the whole of the Bible. And there's layers upon layers of meaning in, in it and, and understanding. And it sets the whole, whole uh, basis of John's gospel. And John's gospel is quite distinct. He doesn't launch straight into the ministry of Jesus like Mark does. He doesn't give us, give us stories about the birth of Jesus like Matthew and Luke do. Rather, John begins at the beginning of time with God and Jesus coexisting and being party together in the creation of everything else. And in doing so, he describes Jesus as the logos, the word. The logos in the Greek. And the term logos is unique to John's gospel and to John chapter 1, verse 1. It's a common Greek word, just as its English translation, word, or expression are not unusual. They're, they're things that we would use every day. And in Greek, the word logos would have been used in everyday term, you know, asking somebody to express what they were meaning. However, it was also laden with philosophical significance in both the Greek and the Jewish world. And John was writing to believers who were Jewish, living in the dispersion, and therefore in a Gentile world, or to those Gentiles who had come out of that Greek thinking world. And so he's drawing upon both the Jewish and the Greek world when he's using this word, logos. So the Greek philosophers, the Stoics especially, were concerned with the notion of how must I live in order to be happy? And they considered, as they considered this, they came up with this idea um, that the logos as was the harmonious was 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 the harmonious principle in the world which brings order and therefore peace and happiness 
it was something beyond just the meaning of a word. It was something of order in the, in the universe that brought us. If we lived in, in coordination with the Logos, they thought we would be in peace and with happiness. And so if people lived according to this principle or spiritual force, they would find happiness in the world. And this is in contrast with the world of today. Stoics believed in happiness, that happiness lay in goodness, moral goodness, and a life lived in good order. Modern humanity seems to want to cast off all order and plunge into hedonism in order to find happiness, or at least pleasure. In the Jewish world, the notion of this word, logos, was summed up in the Hebrew term dabar, which means word in the same way. But it was associated specifically with God, with Yahweh. In the Old Testament, the phrase, the word of the Lord, is used 241 times. And it's always associated with the prophetic and dynamic power of God that's, that's making its way in the world and making, bringing difference. It's the power of God to act as he chooses in the affairs of the cosmos, especially his power to bring about salvation. Thus, the word of the Lord is closely associated with Yahweh himself. And so in both Greek and in Hebrew-speaking worlds, this idea of word was significant. However, the noteworthy difference between these ideas and what John says is contained in the phrase in chapter 1, verse 14, where he says, And the word became flesh. The word ceases to be just this spiritual power out there somewhere that brings happiness in order and becomes a person. And this is the magnificence of this passage that that John is is speaking to, uh, to us about. John doesn't present the word as an ethereal force or an idea or even just as the power of God. He presents the word as a flesh and blood man who came amongst us. For the Greeks, this would have been heinous. Why would spirit become flesh when all flesh was evil in their thinking? For the Jews, this thought was alien. A Jew could deal with the notion of of the word as the creative force of God or wisdom personified, as in Proverbs chapter 8. But how could the creative force of God take on human flesh? And this is the challenge and the good news that John intends to bring to his readers. So let's explore this notion of the logos a little more. The Logos is loaded, laden with significance because it infers the self-revelation of God to humanity, ultimately in Jesus. It's the way God chooses to reveal himself to his creation. And by describing Jesus as the Logos, John is telling us that Jesus is not just the creative agent of God, but he is the expression of God. If you want to know what I'm thinking or feeling, I use words and body language to tell you. In the same way, Jesus is the expression of the Father. He is the means through which we find out what the Father is like and what the Father wants to express towards his creation. And in Jesus is summed up all the goodness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. And it all finds its expression in when the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He's the method through which God will bring the Father has brought his redemptive will into the world. And so the passage begins with this phrase, in the beginning was the word. And this gives us a sense of the eternity of the Logos. 
It takes us back right to the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And the sense that before everything else, God was. However, John is saying that the Logos was there at the beginning as well. We could translate this as in the beginning, the word already was. And John is making a very clear statement here that the Logos didn't come into being when he became flesh, but was, he was in existence from eternity. Jesus didn't come and become divine. Jesus didn't suddenly appear in history when he was born of Mary. Jesus always was, although he was not known as Jesus. He always existed with the Father and will always exist with the Father. Thus Jesus could say later on in John's Gospel before Abraham was, I am. So before the incarnation, before Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary in a stable in Bethlehem, He was alive with the Father. The Logos was pre-existent and he was the agent of creation. And so to offer the ultimate revelation of God's glory, the Logos, this word, became flesh and lived with his people or with us for a while as Jesus. The human embodiment of God. And even now, it says, God sustains creation through light and life of the Logos. In other words, we only have life and light in the world because of Jesus, because he exists and because he is holding all things by the word of his power, which Paul says later. The second phrase in that verse verse says, the word was with God. That doesn't translate quite accurately into English. The Greek doesn't mean with as in alongside. It actually means in dynamic relationship with In other words, the word always existed in a face-to-face relationship with God himself. There was interaction between God and the word from all eternity. And it's this interaction that resulted in creation. It was out of the dialogue that was going on in eternity between the Father and the Son that creation was sprung into birth. It was out of the creative dialogue that was going on that God said, let there be. And there was. And then the third phrase in that first verse, and the word was God. John leaves us in no doubt as to the identity of this logos. The word was God. Literally, it translates as God was the word, theos en ho logos. It's not just attributing some kind of divinity to Jesus, but of a lower order than Yahweh, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would have us believe. It's not that he was a God but that he was God himself who was the word. And this is a paradox. And we were looking yesterday in the GLE, um, ground level leadership engine, about the paradox of the Trinity, that actually we can't understand it. Don't try and understand it. Just believe it. All right? God is three and God is one. Just, just get over it. But this is what John is, is, is illustrating here. That God is That the word is God. And so at the end of this same gospel, Thomas proclaims when he stands before the risen Jesus, my Lord and my God, my Kyrios and my Theos, my Yahweh and my El. He is acknowledging Jesus as Yahweh himself. And if in John's gospel, Jesus is being proclaimed as Yahweh, as we are suggesting, either the gospel is completely blasphemous or else it's proclaiming the truth of who Jesus really was. And there's no other way of seeing it.
Verse 3 tells us that all things were made through him. And here John takes us from eternity into time. Time only began when creation began. Outside of the created order, there is no time, only eternity. But at a point in time, God began the process of the creation of all things. And he did it through his creative word. And God said, we read in Genesis. And that creative word was Jesus himself, who brought all the creation into being. Notice John doesn't say by him, but through him. He leaves creation as an act of the Father, but it's only achieved through the Son. Our words express our thoughts and our feelings to communicate to the world around us what is going on inside. And God communicated his heart by creating all things through his word. The word is the way God expresses himself. Verse 4 says, In him was life. And building on the notion of creation through the Logos, John next tells us that the Logos was life. However, he also tells us that this, this life was light, a light that shines in the darkness and cannot be overcome by it. And in John's gospel, light is associated with truth as opposed to falseness and goodness as opposed to evil. And so Jesus is the light that brought the revelation of God. And when God shines his light on humanity, it shows us up for who we really are. It reveals us in our sinful state. But God doesn't shine his light on us to shame us, but so that we can enter into the life that comes through the light. And that is the life of eternity made available now to us through Jesus. We also have an allusion here to the cross. At the cross, darkness tried to extinguish the light of God. But it couldn't overcome it because the light is more powerful than the the darkness. Jesus overcame all darkness and made the way open for us all to come into God's light through his resurrection. And it's in his death and resurrection that he overcame darkness to bring us into his marvelous light. In verse 9, John says, the true light was coming into the world. And he's given us a flavor of what will follow in the gospel. The true light came to the people of Israel who were supposed to be the light of the world, bringing God's revelation to all mankind. But they didn't recognize the true light. Only a few did. And it was to these that God gave the right to become children of God. And we are born of God, not in the sense of natural childbirth or physical descent, but by the Spirit who causes us to be born again. So to summarize what we've said so far about the Logos, from this concept we can see the following. He's pre-existent. He existed before everything else was created. He's the agent of creation. All things came into being through him, and nothing was made that has been made without him. And the redeemer of life is also the creator of life. He's the sustainer of creation. And light and life continue to come to creation through him. He is God. He was with God. He was God. And the Logos is presented as both associated with God and as God himself. And he's the one who brings true revelation to everyone. Although not everyone recognizes that revelation, not even his own people. An acceptance of Jesus as the Logos results in us becoming children of God. And to testify to all this, John then calls on John the Baptist as a witness. 
And he uses John's testimony to corroborate independently who Jesus is. That John the Baptist came into the world to testify concerning who Jesus is. And the climax of this thought, all that we've been saying, is found in chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, the Logos, became flesh. And he dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in the Logos becoming flesh, humanity for the first time was able to see God in the Logos. Up until that point, only the Son had seen the Father. But now we could all see God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. The creative presence of God. The one through whom all things were made. The one who existed with God from all eternity. The one who was God himself became human and lived amongst us. How could this be? God clothed himself in human flesh and lived here on earth as a man. That's the message of Christmas. It's not about tinsel. It's not about presents. I went into a shop, the Christmas shop in Hull the other week. I found one card that had the nativity scene on it in the whole shop. The world's forgotten the root. Daniel actually shared with me last week that one of his friends, you, you, what, what did they say? They didn't know that Jesus was part of Christmas or that Christmas was about Jesus. How ignorant our society has become. How disconnected from the roots. There's nothing to celebrate if we can't celebrate the coming of God in human flesh. It's meaningless. It's empty. But this is the celebration. We know what it's really all about. And we can celebrate it to the full. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And the word translated as dwelt there is the word tabernacled. And very deliberately, he's pointing us back to the tent of Moses in the wilderness. And it was there in the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was demonstrated in the Shekinah glory. From the outside, you couldn't see that glory. But for those who were allowed in, the high priest once a year, they could gaze upon the glory of God. And John is saying that Jesus was just like that tabernacle. God pitched his tent amongst us in the body of Jesus. And those whom he bid could come to see his glory. And we know that on the Mount of Transfiguration, those three disciples, Andrew, Peter, James and John, sorry, all saw the glory of God for a moment radiating from Jesus. Jesus allowed that glory to shine out. The disciples had that privilege of glimpsing the glory of God. We're also told in, the, in, the, in John's gospel that the signs he performed were, his, were the glory of God revealed. And the disciples glimpsed that glory and came to believe in him as a result. As we said, this refers back to the Exodus. And just as the glory of God was made known in the tabernacle, so the glory of God is revealed in the Logos in Jesus. God actually came and resided on earth for a time as the Logos, passing through to lead away to a second Exodus. We're also told in verse 14 that Jesus was full of grace and truth. 
Perhaps this is a reference back to Exodus 34, 6, where God revealed his glory to Moses with the words, The Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And these two nations, notions of grace and truth go hand in hand. God is not just grace, although he is full of it, but he's also truth. And truth demands a decision from us. And in order to receive the grace of God through Jesus, we have to accept the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And by this means, we then receive grace upon grace. Jesus is the one who displays the character of God for all humanity to see. He's the one who demonstrates the grace and truth of God so that we can see it and be drawn into relationship with the Father. And so the divinity of Christ is boldly affirmed and the human embodiment of God explicitly presented in this passage. The Logos Logos didn't nearly descend on Jesus or enter him, but the Logos became part of the human nature that he bore. And the life of Jesus is the history of God on earth. And so John concludes his prologue by telling us that no one has seen God. Moses saw the glory of God. Isaiah saw a vision of God with his robe filling the temple. But nobody has seen God except Jesus, who is God. And it is he who has made the Father known to us. Only Jesus can reveal God to us. We can't see him through any other faith. We can't see him in philosophy. We can't see him through mystical experience. We can only see him through Jesus. Only Jesus can make him known because only Jesus is God in human flesh. And these 18 verses concerning the Logos form the basis of the whole of John's theology from the rest of the book. The rest of the Gospel of John presents Jesus as the Logos made flesh. The letters of John present the implications of the Logos for our community together. And finally, John presents Jesus in contrast with Moses. He contrasts grace and truth with the law. And in doing so, he affirms that the better way of knowing God has now come amongst us who receive his grace and truth. Through Jesus. It's easy in reading this to get caught up in the wonder of the language and the concepts that fall one after another from its pages. However, John's purpose isn't just to blow our minds, but so that we appreciate more fully who Jesus actually is, and as a result, live more appropriately as God's people through his grace and truth. So, as we continue to meditate on this through the coming weeks, Think about who Jesus is. He's not just a man. He's God in flesh. His sacrifice was the death of God himself on our behalf. And he came to reveal the Father to us. Amen.